0: We got the Bible, but what is what does God expect of you? I know that there's principles in His Word, and and uh, but is there a place that we can go to to just get some guidance? Like God, what do you expect from me as a human being? What are your expectations? Well, tonight we're going to talk about that. God's expectations of a Christian. Certainly, we have expectations for God, but what are God's expectations for us? Lord, we love you. We are so grateful to be here tonight. Touch people who were unable to be here, who maybe can watch this online or view it live, Lord Jesus, or watch it later, God. But Lord, help me. I need you to just uh, speak through me, even in these times of teaching. These are where strong Christians are built, and build me, build others, Lord God. Make us what you want us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome. And Romans is sometimes called the greatest theological document ever written. Uh, now, several house churches in Rome, they just they blew up with growth. Uh, the, the, the gospel message started spreading. There were all kinds of new converts. However, some were Jews and some were Gentiles, and so there was a bit of confusion as to like, well, what does God want us to do? Like, are we still under the law of Moses? Are we supposed to do these things? Or are we freed from the law of Moses? And so Paul starts to write Romans. Really, he was, because there was some arguing and some bickering and some misunderstanding. and, And so a lot of different beliefs in there. And so two of the reasons that Paul writes Romans, number one is to bring clarity in the expectations for believers. Number two to bring unity in the church of Rome. Because sometimes when someone says, well, I'm expecting you to do this, this, and this, and you don't meet those expectations. Has anyone in the church ever not met your expectations? Then there can be kind of a schism. There can be, there can be, a divide. There can be a break in the unity of the church. And so Paul's like, hey, I want to make clear what God's expectations are, but I also want to bring unity to the body of believers. And so the whole book itself is filled with great wisdom. So in the next three and a half to four hours, I just want to go through the book of Romans. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just want to zero in on the 12th chapter uh, tonight. E- even though the book, I could probably talk for four hours. I know you don't believe that, but. Um, But the book, the 12th chapter, is very interesting. The section of Romans, that section sets out moral and ethical demands of the good news or the gospel message. God's gift of salvation, it does require a response. We would call this obedience. Not not necessarily when, when James uses the word works. It's not like, oh, I earned my way into salvation or heaven. But no, it was the response of God's grace our response to his grace, and that's called obedience. And so um, this is not just obedience to repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, infilling of his spirit with the evidence of speaking other tongues. This is not not just that. That's the initial obedience to his plan for our salvation. But it's also obedience to a, a process that we would call sanctification, meaning After I'm justified by what I did in response to his grace, I I repented of my sins, I was baptized in his name, I was filled with his spirit, but now what? That's actually what the adult discipleship course is called downstairs that people are doing right now. It's now what? You know, I've I've lived for God, I I responded to the initial plan that he had for my salvation, but what do I do now? And uh, sanctification is the now what? It is the continued growth process. After that initial experience of God continuing to form and to shape our lives. And so, God's not content just to forgive our sins. I'm thankful he wants to forgive my sins. But he's not content to just forgive my sins. God wants to completely transform your life. Anybody thankful for that? I I don't... I don't want to just go to a church, have a a salvation experience, and then he goes, okay, you're forgiven. And I walk out and, like, everything stays the same. God wants to totally transform your entire being for the better. Romans 12 starts to talk about this transformation. Paul says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to Christ, to God, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they'd bring an animal sacrifice and lay it on the altar. Well, now we're called to bring our lives as a sacrifice, not necessarily self-mutilation, but I'm talking about just bringing our bodies to him and saying, God, now my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not dwelling in a, a, a tabernacle with a pillar of fire and a cloud above it anymore. Now I'm the temple, but Lord, I want my body... To be a living and holy sacrifice. That it's not just a one-time dead and gone sacrifice, but that I'm living. Every day, I am a living sacrifice. The kind that you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. What is truly the way to worship Him? When our whole bodies are a living sacrifice. When every part of us is a living. When it says your bodies, that refers to your whole whole person. That is not just your voice, not just your hands or your hair or your apparel, or your heart or your worship. It's its everything. That It's an, an entire being. You're all. Not just segregated parts of the body, meaning nothing should be off limits. We shouldn't be like, well, pastor called for a worship and so let's worship. Or we should be in church. Okay, let's go to church. Or, oh, let's pay our tithes. Oh, pay our tithes. No. There's, but, oh, but that that thing uh, no that you now you've pushed me too far i'm not doing that there should be nothing that's off limits that every as long as it's in scripture i'm not saying that i can just get up here in the pulpit and say whatever i want and you should follow it no but anything that's based on bible scripture That when God says it, that we say, okay, hey, Lord, that might make me uncomfortable. I might not really want to do that, but if it's in the Word, I want my life to be molded and shaped and aligned in such a way that I follow your Word. And so, sanctification can't happen in a vessel that does not desire to follow the Word of God. And so, this is acceptable. This is worship. So, from this point forward, no matter what Jesus asks of you in His Word, we should do it. There's nothing off limits. And so verse two, he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because the only way that transformation of our entire soul and self and being and body and uh, the only way that that takes place is when God transforms our mind. Because otherwise, I try to go through the motions and do certain things or not do certain things. But if my thinking doesn't change, there's no transformation there. Transformation, that's why the Greek word for for repentance, metneo, is a a change of mind. It's an about face. Even repentance itself starts right here in the mind. And so he says, then you will learn uh, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So notice that even though these were new believers people who are already filled with God's spirit and baptized in his name, Paul does not say everything happened in the past. He tells the believers, hey, let God transform you, changing the way you think. Then you will learn. Then you will learn what is acceptable sacrifice. So he's talking to people who who they've already repented. This is the church in Rome. They've already followed God's plan for their salvation. But notice that all of the changing and transformation was not already done. The spirit that fills us should continue to transform, should continue to impact our thinking. That's what sanctification is, that I keep growing with God. I don't ever get to the point where I've arrived like, okay, cool, I'm done. I'm now saved. No, there's a continual process in my life, and it's an ongoing process that we keep going. And notice the key, the way that God changes us. Transformation can only take place when we change the way we think through repentance, mind, and thought. After Paul gets done laying a little bit of groundwork for this total transformation, complete transformation, he did not say, let me talk to you today about a total transformation. That sounds like a weight loss commercial, right? Let me talk to you today about a total transformation transformation. Uh, no, he starts now to go into the specifics of transformation and, and what God expects of his church. Verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. We just got done talking about transformation. Continue. It starts in the thought process. But he says, don't think you're better than you really are. I'm like, all right. Hey, be renewed. The transformation of your mind, that's where it starts. We can be the living sacrifice, what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. This is what God expects. So, now, let me break some things down. Church, don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, which tells me that I need to occasionally evaluate myself, right? I need to do some soul searching. I need to look at my heart. I need to examine my heart every once in a while. He says, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Pride is detrimental in the process of sanctification. I truly believe this is where different religions will, will maybe vary in this. I don't believe that God ever just like walks away from you and and but but here's the thing. We can lose salvation. What do, what do you mean? Meaning, I can go down in that water and I can I can repent of my sins and I can walk into this water and I can have my sins washed away and I can be filled with His Spirit. But then a week later, I can say, "Forget this, man! I'm not living this life. This is crazy. I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm going to completely go against all the Scripture that that all the commands of Scripture. And I'm just going to go live like a heathen." You can't tell me because I dunked myself in this body of water right here in a church setting that I'm still just going to heaven because. I, I did that, but I don't care what it, I'm just going to live the rest of my life against the word of God. That's why scripture says, he that doeth, continueth, it's an ETH, it's a continuation. We have to keep growing. And so that's what sanctification is. So I would argue that without sanctification, I don't care if somebody says I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Spirit, and, 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 and man, I'll tell you what—I was baptized in that church that many years ago. I just ain't set foot in it again. I don't worship. I don't give. I don't serve. I don't. I, I go. I live against the Word of God. Well, to me, there's no sanctification. There's no growth. And so pride is detrimental to this sanctification process. Pride says, "I'm fine." And we see a lot of this. I'm fine. I'm a good person. My family's a good person. We're good people. But but see, our salvation is never based on our goodness. Because scripture says we're all sinners. The wages of sin are death. So like no matter if you're an amazing person, you've only made one mistake in your whole life. Your salvation is still not based on your goodness. It's based on God's grace and goodness. And so we apply that to our lives by his grace when we repent and we're baptized, we're filled with his spirit, he puts his spirit inside of us, but there's still a sanctification process. We have to keep growing. His spirit is not in us just to get us to heaven. It's to make us what he wants us to be, to transform us, to sanctify us. And so pride focuses more on self than it does on God. Look at a few things that God says about pride in his word, Proverbs 8, 13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Psalm ten four says, the wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think God's dead. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I could keep going. I mean, the Bible is jam-packed with pride, and pride puts emphasis on self rather than God. Not only of what I can do, but even, well, I am not that bad, and I can do this, and I don't need him, and I'm a pretty decent person. Like, and it never actually allows for soul searching to take place. And the opposite of pride is humility. Pride tears down. Humility makes a way for God to rise you up. And so 1 Peter 5, 6 says, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time. He will lift you up in honor. Notice pride scriptures talk about destruction, tearing down. Humility scriptures talk about God raising you up. I want God to be able to raise me up. I don't, I don't want, but see, that's that that's that fine line that you walk because if our motives get wrong, we say, well, I'm doing ministry because I want to be raised up. I want to be recognized. I want these things. That's, that's, that's almost, we can almost be prideful in our humility. Does that make sense? Yes, I just want to tell you, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm one of the most humble people around. You're like, Huh. And so we have to just guard our hearts. We have to, and that's why even when people compliment you, anybody, anybody here say, you know, what you go, I feel awkward with compliments. I feel uncomfortable. Okay? Like, this is amazing. That's, that's at least half the audience. All right? And so even starting to step into ministry at 17, um, my dad, he would say to me, like, it, it's funny because he would, he would keep me humble. <laughs> I'd get done and I'd preach or sing or do something, and I'd be like, yeah, people are coming up complimenting me, and my dad would walk up and go, Gary, just remember the Bible says if a man thinks himself to be something, he's nothing, he deceives himself. I'm like, thanks, dad. Check. Got that? Got that? But he would always say, you know, because sometimes you talk to people, and you're like, wow, you did an amazing job with that. And people start in this diatribe, like, oh, yes, yes, that was God. I'm I'm just so thankful that God, God is so good. God, just, and you're just like. Okay. And, 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 and we can also, you know, we can also do this. Like, oh, you did a great job. Or, well, you really think so? I didn't feel like it was my best message. I mean, what, what did you like about it? I, I don't, because I feel like I've done better ones. But, um, you know, my dad, would, he would always say, Gary, what are you doing there? You're fishing. He says, you know, and he taught me, he said, when somebody comes up and says, you did a great job, you know what you say? Thank you. You look people in the eye and you go, thank you so much. I'm glad it was a blessing. And that way, I'm not going, yeah, you know, I thought I was pretty good myself. <laughs> but I'm also not going, really? I didn't know if that was my best one. What was your favorite part? <laughs> you just look and go, thank you. Thank you very, that was, I'm glad it's a blessing. But pride, humility, it's that fine line. And so I want to make sure, God, I want to keep looking at myself and knowing there is always, always, always room for improvement. But I also don't want to live my whole life in condemnation and like, I'm never good enough. I'm never, no, thank God by his grace, I am who I am today. But thank God by his grace, he's not done with me. So Paul in writing Romans 12 He's imploring believers, don't be prideful. Truly examine yourself. And I think what Paul goes on to say is also a little bit connected to pride. He goes on and says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're all many parts of one body. and We all belong to each other. <laughs> right? That would almost feel awkward. Like, look at someone sitting around you, that's not your spouse, and say, hey, you belong to me. I mean, that's just, that's slightly uncomfortable. Like, that's why only about six of you did it just now. The rest of you just stared straight ahead and were like, for the love of God, I pray that he's not really wanting me to do this. In other words, he says, don't be an island to yourself. You're not strong enough to exist alone. You need others, and others need you. So when I say, I don't need to come to church, I can just, I can just, I don't need to go to events. I don't need small groups. I don't need to sign up for these ministries. I just bless God. Me and God were, me and God are very close. Right? We, we just walk in a different dimension. Really, that's just, that's just, that's just stinky pride. You try to make yourself so spiritual, but. Yes, me and God were just close. I don't need all these things. You're essentially saying, you know what? I know he wrote all these things about the New Testament church, but I'm one of the exceptions. I don't need the body. I don't need to fit into his New Testament plan. But you're not strong enough to exist alone. You need others and others need you. And in giving us to one another, Paul wanted that Roman church to know each of them have various gifts. And so he begins to spell these out in the next three verses. Verse 6, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Notice it doesn't say doing all things well. Because guess what? I have yet to meet a person at Refuge Church or any church that I've ever been to, including myself, who does everything well. I'm sorry if one of you are here very prideful and you're like, no, I don't think he's talked to me in depth yet. (laughs) But he says, you do certain things well. God's given us all a gift, but he hasn't, to my knowledge, given everyone all of the gifts. And so, and I think part of the reason he doesn't give us all of the gifts is because he wants us to always remember we need the body of Christ. And so, if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God's given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. We're filled, this church is filled with people who like to serve. It's a beautiful thing. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift, this is literally a biblical gift. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. I love that the scripture l- like lines that out as a gift. You ever talk to someone who discourages you? If it's your spouse, don't look at them. You ever talk to someone who encourages you? Who like you walk away and you always, you have a good laugh and you, and you just, you don't even know why it wasn't like a monumental conversation, but you get in your car and you're just like, man, I had a great time with them tonight. That's an awesome couple. That's an awesome person. We had so much fun. Sometimes you can laugh, but then you leave people and you like just talked about everybody in the church and everybody on the block and, and you leave and you're like, I feel weird. Ugh. I've been around people that just kind of talk about people, and you're just like, "This isn't cool." I don't like the way I feel. But you leave, then you leave in uh, somebody who's encouraging, and you're like, "Wow!" And if you're if you're an encourager, you are a great gift to the church because you just walk around encouraging people. If you give, give generously. I think that's not just, I think that's, I think that's time and, and resources and finances. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If, if He says, and if you have a gift for showing kindness to others... Do it gladly. You look at all these gifts, gifts of prophecy, serving others, teacher, encourager, giver, leader, showing kindness. These are all very spiritual and practical. not one or the other. These are spiritual. I know we talk about the spiritual gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, faith. We're like, yes, we want that. And we do, absolutely. I think spirit-filled apostolic churches should have the gifts of the Spirit operating prayerfully in every service, every prayer meeting. I absolutely want it. But these are also spiritual and practical. And guess what? The greatest churches in the world are not the ones with the most amazing buildings and lights and praise teams and buildings and foyers and coffee shops and, like, it's not, those are all cool, great, whatever. But the greatest churches in the world are those whose members are consistently operating in their gifting. Think about that. It's, it's my responsibility as a pastor, leadership's responsibility as a church, but it's also your responsibility to find your gifting. And if you're here going, well, I don't know what it is, you should, there should be something that's slightly uneasy in you until you find it. You should ha- that should be a drive in your life that says, I have got to find my gifting. What is that? Because when you read this list, the greatest churches, gift to prophecy, serving others, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing kindness, practical and spiritual things And the greatest churches are people whose members are walking in their gifting. And then Paul gives direction to the church about love in verse 9. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Does that really happen? I mean, it happened, obviously. For him to say it, wasn't it probably happening? I mean, I know it happened, but it, that, nobody here actually pretends to love each other, right? I mean, like, that's a real thing. No, he says, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. So for him to say this, there obviously was people, people in the church who were pretending to love each other. Paul commands the church to be real and genuine in their love for each other. And then he continues to talk about love in verse 10. He says, Love each other with genuine affection. He says, Don't just pretend in the last verse. This one he says, Love each other with genuine affection. So there's obviously a, a fakey love and a real love. Man, we're not, a, we're not a perfect church, but I like to say this we're genuine. We're genuine. You're going to find faults, and you're going to find, but like, I'm going to be real when I'm in this pulpit. We're going to be real when we meet people at the door. We're going to be real at VIP experiences. We're going to be real at praise team practices. We're, like, to me, there's, there just has to be a realness. Like, none of this fake stuff. People don't appreciate that, and I really don't think God does either. He's like, love people, really don't pretend, have a genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Again, when we say, well, how do I know where my heart is? How do I know if my heart's really right or not? How about stuff like this? When somebody gets honored, what goes through your mind and heart? Oh, always calm. You knew the stuff that I was doing. But no, that scripture says, take delight in honoring each other. Somebody gets honored, and I'm like, yes, I am so, oh, man, she deserves it. He's a great guy. They work so hard. I love the fact. That's so wonderful. That genuine word means devoted. Devoted affection. Loving isn't just a, a feeling or something I do when it's convenient. As a member of this church, I am devoted to loving you. Does that, I mean, that, that might sound awkward, a little uncomfortable, strange. No, but no, that, that's, that's the word. It says you're Devoted. Devoted. We're called to take delight. I want to honor you. I want to see you succeed. KJV says, King James Version says, prefer your brother. And what do we say? Well, I do prefer them as long as I get some kudos too. Again, think about the context here. Paul is not just trying to give instruction. Paul is trying to bring unity to the church, to the Jews and to the Greeks who are arguing and saying, is this really necessary, the law of Moses? And he's trying to not only teach, but he's trying to build a culture because every church has a culture. He's trying to build a culture there that does not say Jews and Greeks and argue and law of Moses and circumcision and animal sacrifice and eating meat to idols and blah, blah, blah. No, he's trying to say, hey, Love one another. Don't just pretend, but genuinely be devoted to each other. To the fact where you esteem one another greatly, you prefer each other over yourself. Imagine the culture of the church when the church does that. God's expectations for his church then continue. Verse 11, he says, never be lazy. That's deep, right? pretty succinct, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I love that it doesn't just say, never be lazy and work hard and serve the Lord. It says, never be lazy, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. At some point, If you have been set free, sanctified, delivered, you have been filled with the Spirit of God, you believe that heaven is going to be your home, tell your face the good news. (laughs) Like, let your face in on the secret. Never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the... I could say stay here for a while. Laziness drives me crazy, by the way. Drives me nuts. But so do people who serve the Lord without any enthusiasm or joy. You want to talk about people who encourage or discourage? When I get done and like there's a powerful message, whether I preach it, maybe somebody else preached it. I'm like, oh, and somebody walks up and they're like, so-and-so, blah, blah, I just want to talk to you about this. I'm like, man, hang on, we just give me five minutes. Did you just hear this powerful message? Let's just bask in the presence of that word for a second here. A lot of times too why I don't I don't counsel right before service. I don't have meetings right before service. two reasons. number one, I don't want it to distract me from what God's wanting to do. Number two, it's amazing what an incredible altar call will fix before I ever even have to deal with it. I can tell you how many times people want to meet with me let's meet after church and then by the time they get there it's already taken care of. It's a beautiful thing because God, does more in altar calls than I do in counseling sessions. Principles for life here. And then just in case a believer doesn't know what to be enthusiastic about, well, what's there to be enthusiastic about? Paul gives them a reason. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Because if you tell someone, be enthusiastic, you ever have somebody in your life, they're like, I don't got nothing to be enthusiastic about. So Paul was like beating them to the punch. Be enthusiastic. Serve the Lord with en- enthusiastically. And if you don't know, rejoice in our confident hope. I'll give you something to be enthusiastic about. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. In this verse, he gives three incredible pieces of advice, principles for life. Number one, rejoice in our confident hope. Two, be patient in trouble. And three, keep on praying. Thirteen, he says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. If we truly love one another, like he commanded a couple of verses earlier, I think it would be natural that we're ready to help someone that we love, right? I'm not always completely ready maybe to help some just random person walking by. I don't know them, and I don't know their situation. But I would like to think that if somebody, one of our board members, my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, they need something, like, I'm going to help them because I love them. I mean, like, I love a lot of people in this church. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be ready, apt to help. But Paul takes it a step further. He says, be eager, not just willing, eager. There's a difference to me between being willing and eager. Be eager to practice hospitality. You know, the Greek word actually says, points, it points to a love for strangers, even. Wow. 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's a tough one, but one that Jesus himself said in the Gospels bless those who bless you or bless those who bless you or, or, he said bless those who persecute you for my name's sake and then 15 this next verse is a theme scripture a foundation of the church you hear me refer to it all the time it says be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep you remember again talking to Jews and Greeks Argument about what's really required. He's trying to build unity while also teaching. And he gives the church this nugget of wisdom that says, hey, you should genuinely prefer your brother. Rejoice when they get exalted. Be happy for them. And you know what? At the end of the day, if we really love each other, when people that you love are weeping... You ever start talking to someone in your days just like fine and they come up and they start telling you something and they start to choke up and their voice cracks and tears starts to come out of the corner of their eye and all of a sudden you feel your eyes well up with tears has that ever happened to anyone your life is fine. like You're not having any issues. But when someone that you love starts to break down and cry and their voice cracks and the tears well up in their eyes and they start sharing something with you that you were 100% fine before that story. And you're fighting back tears or letting your tears flow down your cheeks simply because I love this person so much that when they started getting emotional, it made me emotional. That's the way he wants the church to be. And then he says rejoice with those who rejoice. So I don't want to just cry with people because, well, sometimes I think for human beings it's easier to cry with someone who's broken and hurting than it is to rejoice with someone who's doing really well and blessed. But scripture, he says, we need to do both. Weep with those who weep. But then when somebody's rejoicing and celebrating a victory, rejoice with them. Man, I just got a, I just got a promotion. <laughs> Must be nice. I wish I had a promotion. Worked at my job longer than you worked at yours. Like, what? No. You're rejoicing? Oh, that is awesome. I can't think of anybody more deserving. You do such a great job. That's wonderful. But don't pretend. Remember that part. It should be genuine. Because if we follow this, think about the culture of the church. 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Hallelujah. If we get a a new sign at the church, a digital sign, like scripture of the day, I'll just put dot, 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 don't think you know it all. I know we've never met anybody who does, but imagine if you, imagine if you did. (laughs) And isn't it funny that he throws pride in with don't be, thinking you know it all, because really isn't that a prideful thing? He revisits that concept of pride. Don't think you know it all. Part of living in harmony with one another is following the rest of that verse. It's very difficult, almost impossible to live in harmony with someone who's prideful and thinks he or she knows it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with people. I appreciate this verse because there's a command here. But notice what it says. All you can do is all you can do. If I could make everyone love and serve Jesus, we would have already had to build three buildings. I can't Make people serve Jesus. I can't make people love me. I think there was a song that was written once that said that. I can't make someone love me. I can't make someone forgive me. I can't make someone like me. It was another lesson that I had to learn my parents. They'd say, Gary, not everyone's going to like you. And sometimes they won't have a reason why. And I wanted everybody to like me. I still want everybody to like me. But I've learned to sleep at night, even if they don't. But it says, do all that you can to live in peace. Some of, you, some of you know this, okay? I've shared stories about my neighbor. <laughs> we walked over cookies. We've delivered them to his door. We've, I've walked, I complimented his dogs and his truck and his car and tried to, man, this guy, he, I'm telling you. To the point where now we cut down a tree and some of the wood chips went in his yard and he came over and started cussing at my mom. And I said, excuse me? I was like, you ain't going to talk to my mom like that. He's like, what are you going to do? Blanky, blank, 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 blank. He's cussing at me. And I was like, last time this happened, I was like a soft answer turns away wrath. This time I was thinking, the Bible says, lay hands on the sick. And I was, I was getting ready to say, you're, you're fixing to be sick right now. You know, you struggle with humanity and spirit, walk in the spirit, walk in the flesh. There's a part of you that's like, I hope he touches me. I hope he touches me. And then I prayed through, I think. (laughs) And uh, I can genuinely say, I looked at him and I said, Young and talk to me and my family this way. I said, We have done everything we can from walk over cookies and be kind to you. I said, You go ahead and walk in your house. I'm going to walk in mine. I said, live your life. I'll live mine. I said, but don't talk to my family that way. And uh, I came in and my wife said, you did a good job. I was like, I was like, don't make me get Brother Chris over here. (laughs) He said, who's Brother Chris? I said, you'll see. No, I, I didn't really say that. But once I talked to Brother Chris, I thought, huh, can we make this word now? But, uh, and if he's watching online, man, this is how crazy you sound. But we do hope you come to church here. So... I mean, truthfully, I'm like, there's nothing else I can do. I have always said nice things said, I told my kids don't go in their yard. I've been, I've treated, we tried to be kind. We've walked over the, the cookies. We've, I mean, like, we have tried everything, and this man is, I, I, that's the other thing I said. I said, it's, you, you are a very unhappy man. It's sad to watch. I just said that to his face. And so for me, I really can say I have done all that I can. To live at peace. I don't know what else I can possibly do. And so there is this biblical expectation that, hey, this is what we want to do as Christians. But we can only do all we can do. So when you come over for a small group, don't park in his driveway, okay? (laughs) Some of you are being punks. You're like, oh, watch me. I'm going to park right in his driveway. No, I'm just kidding. Then he goes and he says, dear friends, never take revenge. I'm glad he threw that one in there, right? Right after this part. Because what? Somebody gets you angry, you can walk away and go, I'll show him." I'm going to do like, no. Do all you can live at peace, but don't take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scriptures say. I'll take revenge. I'll pay them back. Quote from Deuteronomy 32. Instead of your un- your enemies are hungry, feed them. I did try. We got dropped off cookies. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep heap burning coals of shame on their heads. This is a quotation from Proverbs 25. You know what I love about the word is when you study it, and this is kind of when people would say like is a is a, is a book of the Bible. Should it be considered an inspired text? That's one of the tests of whether something was inspired in text and viewed as part of the canon or not, is, is there internal references to other scriptures? And so this writing in Romans is filled with references to all kinds of the Old Testament. It's very, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's the symmetry in the Bible. The, seems simple enough. It says, um, verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So as I close this out, this is good life principle, principles for life here. But I just threw a ton at you. So as we wrap up, God, you know, God does have expectations for his church. And it's not just repent and be baptized. Expectations that go beyond just the response to his message. He wants to continue to transform our lives. And so as you stand to your feet tonight, it's not one of those messages that you're just like, whoa, it comes to a head and you just, wow, and we all respond. No, this response is simply if transformation takes place with our thinking, then we have to put some thought into what we just heard. So I asked Brother Jim our, uh, in projection to just leave this up for the altar call. Because no doubt you can read this list and go, you know, and by the way, we're not playing mango. Some of you are like, I need one more. I just need the center, second side. (laughs) Actually, that wouldn't work either. Bingo only has nine, right? But it's been a while since I played bingo. But I'm going to leave that up so that when you come up here, chances are you can say, man, you know, I think I'm doing all right. That one's pretty good. I really do, do. I do all right with that. You know, I'm actually pretty good at that. But man. That middle row, that top row, or that right side, Ah, I don't do so hot on that one, because I doubt there's anybody watching online, because I think they can see the same slide right online. They didn't doubt, doubt anybody online, doubt anybody here tonight in person that says, man, I got, you know what? I got every one of those down. If you do, you might have the pride thing not down. Because chances are there's at least a couple on here that I know, I, I can only speak for me and I do not have them all down. But I want to have them all down. I want God's spirit to... Sometimes it's a cop Yeah, I would, but I, I got a short temper. I got a, I, I've got always had a short fuse. I, I, you know, uh, I, I, I'd love to have that, but I just can't control my mouth. You know, stuff just comes out. Come on, we're not two years old anymore. We're, we're, we're adults. We're spirit-filled believers. And we can say, you know what, God? By your spirit, I know I can make changes. I've been this way for a while, but today's the day to change. And God, so help me. Help me, Lord. As I find a place to pray tonight help me to just start to examine myself because that's the way the chapter started, right? Be real in your examination of yourself because what good is looking at any of this if we miss what he said back in what, verse three? If you're gonna do this, genuinely examine your heart because otherwise, you know, pride keeps us from ever doing things like this. But tonight we can come up to an altar and we can just look at this and just say, God, Help me to continue to do these things well. But Lord, I see a few things on this list that I'm I'm just not doing well. And so in doing that, it's not just a self-help seminar tonight. It's no, it's, this is sanctification. This is you continuing to mold and shape me into the, to the man or the woman that you're calling me to be. And so God help me. So I invite you to to find a place here tonight and to begin to examine yourself and let your brain, your mind look at these things, examine your heart as we all aim to be what God wants us to be.